0: Grace, mercy, and peace are yours. From God our Father and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, amen. Forty days. Forty days after Jesus' resurrection, he walked out of Jerusalem with his disciples to an area in the vicinity of Bethany. And as he was teaching and instructing them, the next thing they knew, he was rising off the ground, ascending into heaven. We confess that every Sunday, don't we? As we say the Apostles' Creed or the Nicene Creed, we say he ascended into heaven. But do we stop? Do we stop to think about what that means for us? What impact that has for us that Jesus is in heaven right now? That's what we'll do today. Take a little time just to remember the joy, the encouragement and the comfort that comes from the resurrection and ascension of our Lord Jesus. What does retirement look like? I think this is going to work. There it is. Maybe some of you are thinking, I haven't even finished college yet. I'm not even thinking about what retirement looks like. Others of you might already be there and you know a little bit what retirement looks like. Here's where this question comes from. I was having a conversation with one of my classmates, a fellow pastor, not too long ago, and he said this to me, 17 more Christmases till I can retire. I was like, wow, I haven't even thought about that yet. He's way ahead of me thinking about retirement. But I thought, well, what is that going to look like? And all I can tell you is my own experience from people that I know in my own life, retirement isn't the end of work. It's the end of doing what you did at your job only to go do all kinds of other things to keep yourself kind of busy. I think about my own parents, my wife's mother who's 88 years old and we try to get together with her and we can't ever catch her at home because she's always off doing something. It's pretty common. And so when we think about Jesus ascending into heaven, I suppose in a sense you could think about it as his retirement because he's no longer on earth carrying out the responsibilities that God had given him to save his people. But Jesus isn't on the beach somewhere in heaven relaxing. He's still active. And he's still working for you and me. And that's the comfort we'll take today as we take a look at Acts chapter 1, verses 1 to 11. What it means that Jesus ascended to heaven. And as we look at these verses a little bit more closely, first of all, we'll see that our place in heaven is secure. But then, secondly, that our purpose on earth is clear. We're going to pick some verses out of those 11 verses that you read earlier to focus on. And I'm going to start in verse 3 this morning, where Luke simply writes this, After his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. As I stated at the beginning of the service, Luke wrote two of the books of the New Testament. He wrote the gospel that bears his name, Luke, and then he followed it up with this book that we call Acts. The continuing Acts of Jesus after he ascended into heaven. And so right at the end of the book of Luke, he briefly reports about Jesus' ascension into heaven. And then he picks that up again as he begins volume two in the book of Acts. But did you notice what he said? That During these appearances that Jesus made to his disciples, he gave them many convincing proofs that he was alive. You might remember that when Jesus appeared with the disciples, when they were locked in the upper room, he ate in front of them. He let them touch his hands and feet. He gave them whatever proof he could that he was there. But maybe, maybe if we thought, that Jesus only appeared once or twice to his disciples, maybe if he had only appeared to one or two people, we might wonder, did Jesus really rise from the dead? But think about it. For seven weeks, almost seven weeks, 40 days, Jesus continually appeared to his disciples again and again and again and they became the eyewitnesses of the fact that Jesus had risen from the dead. It wasn't just to prove that he was alive that Jesus appeared to his disciples. He was teaching them too, wasn't he? Luke says he was teaching them about the kingdom of God. You probably have run across that phrase as you've read your own scriptures or listened to Jesus tell his parables. The kingdom of God is like... You might remember that Jesus standing in front of Pilate told him, my kingdom is not of this world. And when Pilate said, you're a king then, Jesus said, it is as you say. So what kind of kingdom was Jesus teaching them about? This is his spiritual kingdom. This is the power of the gospel at work in people's hearts. That's how Jesus rules as he sits at the right hand of God. Did you, read, did you hear that as we read that from Ephesians chapter 1 today? The comfort of what Jesus does as our ascended Lord. This is the first thing I want you to remember that Jesus does for you today, not in retirement, but as he still works for your good. God has placed, Paul says in Ephesians, all things under his feet and he rules everything for the good of his church hard to remember that sometimes, isn't it? When we look around the world and we wonder, really? Is God really in charge of all of this? Does God really know everything that's happening? The scriptures remind us how limited our view is compared to God's and that God has Jesus at his right hand ruling all things for us. If you've kind of paid attention to what's going on in the Madison area, maybe you've even gotten on a bus and seen the advertisements on the side, you know that the Lion King is currently playing at the Overture Center. Maybe some of you even have taken the time to go see the Lion King. My guess is most of you are at least somewhat familiar with that movie or show Disney company put out. And if you remember, maybe one of the more famous scenes at the very beginning of that show and movie, it's the presentation, right? The presentation of Simba, the newborn cub that's eventually going to be the king over the entire kingdom. And how all of the animals react in joy at knowing that is their future king. Maybe it doesn't quite work as well. But can you almost see it? As Jesus is ascending into heaven and the disciples are looking up at him, that's God the Father saying, this is your king. This is the one who's going to rule all things for you. This is the one who's in charge of my kingdom. Maybe another picture would simply be when a team wins a championship and they hoist the trophies over their heads, right, in celebration. That's Jesus' ascension. His saving work is complete and now he's ruling all things for our good in heaven. That's why we know our future in heaven is secure. The disciples recognized Jesus as their Savior and Lord, too, but they still had some confusion about exactly what this kingdom meant. Listen to this exchange in Acts chapter 1, verses 6 and 7. Then they gathered around him and asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority. Just a couple verses before, Jesus had told the disciples again to wait, to wait in Jerusalem for the special gift that he was going to send to them, this special outpouring of the Holy Spirit that was coming on Pentecost. We'll celebrate that next Sunday in our service. But do you see the misunderstanding that the disciples still had? We see it in their question, don't we? Okay, Lord, we get it. You're in charge of all things, but but when? When are you going to restore the kingdom to Israel? Maybe their understanding was a little bit more complete than it had been before Jesus went to the cross and rose again from the dead, but they were still hoping. They were still hoping that Jesus' purpose on earth and this restoring of the kingdom to Israel could stand side by side. That not only Jesus that Jesus was not only a spiritual savior, but that he could also bring glory back to the people of Israel and the kingdom on earth. If only, they thought. If only God would show himself. If only we could be rid of the problems that come from this Roman government that's ruling over us. If only, and then we understand, don't we? We understand exactly the way they were thinking because that thinking creeps into our hearts and our minds, too. If only, if only God would show himself, if only he would let the Christian church thrive more, if only there was no persecution, no frustration, no sorrow, no pain in this life, if only we could trust because we could see it every day that God is really in control. If you watch too much of the news, if you listen to too many of the things that are going on in this world, it's easy to wonder, isn't it? If God is really in control, if God really knows what he's doing, if Jesus' sacrifice for our sins really makes a difference. But do you see how earthly-minded we are? How focused on this life we become? Just like the disciples who wanted the Roman rule to be over, who wanted Jesus to establish himself on this earth. And in his answer, Jesus reminds us, this world's not going to last forever. It's not for you to know, he says to the disciples, the day or times that are set by my Father. Those are not known to us, to the disciples, or to anyone else. But we do know that Jesus is coming again. While we don't know the dates or times, we know that God is going to send the Savior who came once, back a second time. And here's your confidence. While Jesus is waiting for that time, in between his first coming and his coming a second time, the Bible tells us that he does another thing that is still in our favor, for our benefit. Not only does he rule all things, but the Bible tells us he intercedes for us. He speaks to the Father on our behalf. Here's the picture. If God were sitting up in heaven watching us and saying, you know, those people just can't get it right. They can't do what I'm asking them to do. They can't obey me. They can't love me with all their heart. They can't love their neighbor as themselves. I'm ready to send some punishment. It's Jesus who says this. But I already took their punishment. I already suffered for their sins. You already put the agony of hell on me so that they are free from the effects of sin. It's as if Jesus took our sin to the cross. But any guilt, anything left over from that sin, he's taken to heaven and placed at his Father's feet and said, you can't. They're free. It's gone. That's the joy that you have, that Jesus intercedes for you, that he speaks to the Father on your behalf. And that's what assures you that your future in heaven is secure. Not only is Jesus ruling all things, but he's speaking to the Father for you. Luke finishes up with these verses in chapter 1, verses 8 to 11. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. After he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud hid him from their sight. They were looking intently into the sky as he was going up. When suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them men of Galilee they said why do you stand here looking into the sky this same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven talked at first that our salvation is secure through the ascension of Jesus but these words are where Jesus makes clear what our purpose on earth is He says to the disciples the same thing he said that Luke reported in his gospel. You will be my witnesses. This was not something that the disciples dreaded. This was not something that they were like, oh boy, here we go. No, they wanted to talk about Jesus. They wanted to tell people what they had seen. They wanted people to know that this Jesus had not only gone to a cross, but that he had risen from the dead and now ascended into heaven. That's what a witness does, right? Just tell people what they know. And isn't it amazing that God chose these men, the disciples, who couldn't quite keep straight what Jesus was talking about when he was talking about the kingdom, who were earthly focused over and over and over again. It's those men that Jesus chose to be his witnesses. And he's chosen you. And he's chosen me. Every time we've worried, every time we've complained, every time we thought maybe God doesn't really know what he's doing, Jesus speaks on our behalf. And the Father says, go, let others know what you know about me. And then the disciples watched as Jesus was taken up into heaven. I don't know about you, but I'm always looking for more detail about how that looked, what that was exactly like. And the Bible doesn't tell us. Just that Jesus was on the ground one minute and the next minute he was in the sky and a cloud hides him from their sight. It's what happens next that we can really find comfort and encouragement in. Two men dressed in white angels come to the disciples with a message. They simply say to the disciples, this same Jesus, the one you just watched go into heaven, he's coming back. He's coming back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. In other words, the disciples are being told by these angels, to stop staring into the sky, he's gone. But he's going to come back. So go do what he asked you to do as you wait in Jerusalem for the gift of the Holy Spirit. So here we are, 2,000 years after that first ascension into heaven, And Jesus still isn't back. Might it lead us to wonder, is he coming? Is he coming soon? Is he coming at all? I suppose I could give you an answer to that question this morning. Just what you wanted, right? The pastor to tell you exactly when Jesus is coming back again? Uh, I can't do that. But I can tell you this. Today, it's a lot closer than it was 2,000 years ago. Today, it's even closer than it was yesterday. And if God lets us see tomorrow, it'll be closer tomorrow than it was today. Do you see what that reminds us? This world is not going to last forever. Our lives in this world won't be forever. And so that message that Jesus proclaimed is the most important thing that we can know. That's the work that God has for us to do. That's the purpose that's clear in this life. First of all, it's clear that God wants us to hold on to our own faith, to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, to to worship him, to read his word, to hear what he has to say to us, to be strengthened in our faith. And then, out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. It's when we're filled up with the grace of God that we then, in turn, will speak to others. We'll tell what we know. We'll be witnesses that God wants us to be. And here's your assurance. As you serve as his witnesses, Jesus is waiting for you. Jesus is preparing a place for you and for me. That's the third thing that the the Bible tells us that Jesus is doing as our ascended Lord, making sure everything is ready to bring us home to him in heaven. Jesus own words from John chapter 14. My father's house has many rooms if that were not so would I have told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me that you also may be where I am. Some takeaways from the sermon today. Number 1, Jesus gave convincing proofs to his disciples that he had finished his saving work. He had risen from the dead and now was ascending into heaven. Paul wrote this to the Romans, that Jesus was delivered over to death because of our sins and he was raised to life because of our justification, because God considers you and me not guilty. Number two, Jesus removes our guilt as he intercedes for us before the Father. Our future is secure. Paul wrote in Romans chapter 8, he wrote these words, Who is the one that condemns? No one. Christ Jesus, who was raised to life, is interceding for us at the right hand of the Father. Finally, number three, Jesus encourages us to be his witnesses as we wait for him to return to take us home. Peter, one of those who witnessed the resurrected Jesus, wrote these words, You are a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. I don't know if he is actually the one who said it or not, but I know that history credits Isaac Newton with the discovery of the principle of gravity. And maybe he said it or maybe he didn't, but you have heard the phrase, I'm certain, what goes up must come down. We could apply that here on Ascension Day, couldn't we? because it's exactly what the angel said to the disciples. Jesus went up, but he's coming back down. And he's coming to take us to be with him in heaven. But could we flip that statement around too? What is down, you and me, must rise, must go to Jesus because that's what Jesus himself says. I'm coming back to get you so that you also may be where I am. Yes, Jesus ascended into heaven. But he's still at work for you and me. He's still ruling all things. He's still interceding for us before the Father. And he's got a place prepared for us. Jesus ascended into heaven. And he promises us that we will join him. Amen. The peace of God which passes all understanding will guard and keep your hearts and minds. In Christ Jesus. Amen. Amen.